0: Welcome to the Shadow Warrior podcast. This is episode 104 and it's titled Urgently Needed a Roadmap and Regulation in India for Generative AI. Uh, it's a great pleasure for me to once again welcome Dr. Abhishek Puri to this channel where we had previously talked about uh, our, our essay in Open about how AI and uh, allopathy are complementary or similar in some sense, because they're both stochastic and not deterministic, i.e. they're statistical. The second uh, essay that we wrote recently in in June 2003 is the one that we want to discuss today, where um, um, we're looking at some of the significant issues that we ourselves found uh, when we wrote this previous essay and had uh, uh, generative AI look at it. So let me move on to the next slide here. Um, first thing that uh, I wanted to re-emphasize is that ChatGPT has taken the world by storm, and this is pretty obvious to anybody who has paid attention to the technical world. It's uh, extremely popular; 100 million users started using it within a couple of months. And in this slide, you see how that far outstrips the pace at which every other technology in the recent past has been adopted to consumers. So this is something extraordinary. something that's really hit the nerve. You know, it's it's hit the spot and uh, people are really jumping on it. Now, the question is, is that good, bad or indifferent? And the answer is, we don't know yet. But the problem that we are facing or likely to face is that people, since they don't realize that generative AI can screw up in all kinds of ways, they will impose and repose their faith in it. So that's the basic problem that uh, we're concerned about, in addition to the various concerns that people have talked about, about uh, losing uh, jobs, you know, people losing jobs and so forth. But so this is a major success. Okay, so moving on to the next slide. You know, there is a little bit, uh, I wanted to say about what sarcastic versus deterministic means, and what correlation versus causation means. Very simple. If two things happen together, That's only correlation. A and B happen together does not mean A caused B. Okay. That is a big problem where we tend to assume, you know, every time Abhishek and I, let's say, go out to dinner, it rains. So that's correlation, but I could then uh, make a causation up and say, it's Abhishek's fault. Every time we go out to dinner, it rains. So he caused it, which is obviously absurd, but that's the problem with, confusing causation and correlation, right? Do you agree with me? Do you cause rain every time you go out to dinner, Abhishek?
1: (laughs) I would agree if you pay the bill
0: (laughs) each time. (laughs) Whatever whatever I say is okay with you, right? But uh, the, the end result of this confusion is that a deterministic system is one where you can always get the same answer. And I just gave a little example here. You know, if you ask generative AI, you know, chat GPT or Bard or something, what 2 plus 2 is, it'll tell you 4, you know, most of the time. But there might be that one occasion in which it says 42 or 72 or something because it is statistical. Okay. And that is a problem. Unfortunately, we tend to uh, believe that when it says 72, it is still correct because of the previous 999 times it gave the correct answer. And this can lead to the big problem of AI hallucinations and things like that, where absolute nonsense comes out of the chat GPT or the uh, or the uh, uh, Bard uh, or any other chatbot. So this is the problem in a nutshell. But there is actually a lot more. So let me just move on to the next slide. So uh, Abhishek, you want to you want to take this forward? This slide?
1: No, I just wanted to add the uh, uh, to the previous slide is that. Uh, if you are ending up relying on these uh, critical uh, issues, let's say for healthcare, so it could generate uh, entirely uh, hallucinated outcome and we would just assume it. The other issue is that, uh, I mean, assume it to be the truth uh, as the seminary of truth. The other issue is that it is tending to anthropomorphize. That means it has a human-like behavior. So both... Uh, chat, GPT, BART, or whatever LLM is going to come out, they're tending to make it as if it is a human thing which is typing it. So it is adding more credibility, supposedly more credibility to whatever the belief outcome is. Um, Right.
0: right. You're right. It's very easy to get caught up in thinking there is a human at the other end, right? And it's a trustworthy human because we've all read about how I don't know, it's 500 billion parameters or something, whatever that means, right? So you tend <laughs> to, I truly agree with you. The credibility of these things is high, especially because they they are so charming, as you said. You know, the, they can write poetry for you and their answers in many cases are right as well as quite uh, uh, comprehensive. In fact, I've gotten to a point where, you know, I, instead of, using the old uh, google uh, search i'm using google bard much of the time because the answers seem more comprehensive and better but i don't know when it's going to give me a, a completely wrong answer you know that's the hallucination part that you're talking about okay so moving on you want to uh, you want to take a stab at this
1: yeah, uh, we have written about uh, that how do the generative AIs work. Basically, they tend to mimic the neural models. That, that is, uh, they tend to mimic the human brain, which the computer scientists call as the neural network. But as uh, Professor Rajiv has been very clearly mentioning, that they use probabilistic models to generate words sequentially, which can make some kind of a grammatical sense but uh, not necessarily always the right thing. And uh, each of them is straight on a body of work that has been scraped from the internet. So we don't know whether the copyright issues are addressed over there or not. And uh, as a result of uh, scraping the whole thing, they require extensive uh, human input to make them right. In fact, just before the charge was formally announced, uh, there were reports that uh, few of the outsourced firms had uh, hired workers who had suffered immense mental harms trying to figure this out. So right. moving to the next nice. Yeah. yeah. So please go on, sir. Yeah. No, I, I was
0: just going to say that uh, the uh, issue of how much human intervention is necessary is something that we tend not to be aware of. We think the computer is so smart that it's figured it out. And therefore, you know, we can, and we generally tend to have this, this uh, impression of computers as omniscient, you know, they must be right. But as you correctly pointed out, there is a significant amount of human uh, um, interaction. In fact, uh, that, that's also supposed to be a new and upcoming area, which is prompt engineering. How do you write prompts to these chatbots that will give you better answers? Yes. So, so the, the human element is actually not gone and it's quite opaque. We don't actually know what is what has been done during the training activity. There's very little uh, information out there because I think it's treated as intellectual property by, the, uh, by these companies such as OpenAI and Google and so on. Okay? So um, let's step back a, a minute and ask about uh, epistemology. Now this is really the the key here, because we're, we're studying, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out how we learn and how we study and how knowledge is generated. That's the, that's what epistemology is. Now the, the issue is that, you know, knowledge may not be actually truthful. And one of the things that's uh, quite uh, disheartening is that a lot of, Indian knowledge, Indic knowledge that we know and we can demonstrate is Indic has been, uh, uh, been basically captured, digested. You know, Rajiv Malhotra has this terrific term, digested. So they've taken it and repackaged it and they often sell it back to us as uh, their invention. And this is one of the things that I'm scared about in terms of, say, yoga. You know, soon you'll find that yoga is being packaged and sent to us as an American or Western in- invention. So they um, also have this problem of uh, uh, the um, usage of these uh, uh, of these mechanisms, where, for example, Wikipedia or something, this is was the best example, where you've got all this material that's created on Wikipedia, which may or may not be done by neutral people. And in fact, there are a number of instances where we can point to people with bad intent, editing Wikipedia articles and writing stuff that is apparently untrue. But from the point of view of uh, these generative AIs, when they're trained on, um, on uh, Wikipedia or other large sets of data or text, they tend to believe that everything that they have, as you know, I mean the computer doesn't know what it's talking about, it doesn't have any idea of the context. So what it sees as uh, correct okay and then it feeds to us as correct maybe completely inaccurate biased etc so that's what's called data poisoning where people are actively uh, uh, messing with and uh, and creating biases in data so that's that's something that we need to be worried about in addition to the ai hallucinations and just one last point there see uh, abhishek was talking about how it produces these uh, generative ais produce things that are um, Grammatically correct, so that means they're syntactically correct, but they're not. They are not necessarily semantically correct. Their content may not be uh, may not be accurate. Moving on. You take
1: that, Abhishek. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about uh, that how the linguistic models. We have also written that uh, how the linguistic models were incorporated. Uh, We had a discussion uh, today morning on uh, Sanskrit as being the immutable language, whereas all the other uh, non-Latin languages like English, which have borrowed very heavily from other uh, languages like Latin, so much so that English did not even have a working dictionary till about 500 years back, and it required a huge dump of almost, I think, a thousand Latin words to make it even more useful. Unlike uh, Sanskrit, uh, which is completely immutable, uh, Professor Rajiv has worked extensively on linguistics and he has mentioned very clearly on the Panini's grammatical uh, syntax. That is how, uh, that is, uh, I mean, for over thousands and thousands of years, everything has stayed intact. Now, generative AI is mostly trained on the English language which means that it is going to be utterly useless for let's say Spanish or German or even for that matter Hindi or any of the other uh, 23 officially recognized languages or you know the thousands of dialects that we end up speaking here. So, same uh, for the same reason uh, like the Western healthcare indices that are routinely applied on rest of the world, uh, we had mentioned about the uh, example of body mass index, which may be more relevant to the Western population compared to the index subset, where the body fat per- percentage is anyway higher. And uh, similarly, the definition of hypertension or the cutoff values for diabetes or any number of examples. Uh, despite the claims of chat it it's you know superhuman efforts, uh, it cannot speak two languages clearly. For example, I can switch uh, very easily in any of the regional languages of my mother tongue while I am talking in English and uh, also understand the language nuances. So the generative AI is primarily very dull, very uh, you know without any emotion. it, is, it cannot convey the linguistic nuances. I think we can move on to the next slide in case you have anything else to add, sir.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to point out that uh, the linguistic part that we talked about is the fact that uh, Paninian grammar is context-free in the sense that if you write a sentence in Paninian grammar, it has exactly one meaning, which is not true of natural languages. They are ambiguous. And uh, this whole idea of context-free grammars I think with uh, a fair amount of confidence, one can suggest it's the single greatest invention of a human mind in history. And I'm not just saying that myself. I believe, you know, people such as Noam Chomsky, who is not exactly a big friend of India, have said similar things, that this is an incredible invention. You know, the, 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 this has not happened in any other field. For example, in physics, they tried to come up with the grand unified theory of physics and they they failed even you know somebody who is always considered the uh, epitome of genius that's uh, uh, albert einstein was not able to come up with a uh, theory that satisfies all observed data but here is panini 2500 years ago who did exactly that and uh, and it was rediscovered in a way by ibm computer scientists in the 1950s when they tried to create new languages that computers could use because computers cannot deal with ambiguity and so they came up with a notation and lo and behold it turns out that their notation for these these uh, precise languages is very similar to what Panini had done and uh, so therefore there is a, a very interesting connection between the semantics of Paninian languages and the syntax of such languages. So we, let's not go too much further into it. I just wanted to give a little bit more than what uh, Abhishek was talking about. So uh, the, the next point, let me let me uh, take this up, uh, Abhishek. See, I'm rather concerned about intellectual property rights. I was, for example, uh, a member of the committee that wrote the, the first uh, intellectual property policy in India in 2016. It's there, and we've been a little disappointed in how well it's been or not so well it's been implemented. But intellectual property is something that... We need to take very seriously because the rest of the world has cavalierly, you know, used our IPR, and uh, we have stood by sort of helplessly. And it's come time that we got to put our foot down and say, "Look, you can't take our intellectual property and run with it." And and you see this all the time. You know, I mentioned yoga, but the other day this is a gentleman named uh, Huberman at uh, Stanford. So he came up with this idea of uh, I forgot something. Uh, systematic sighing or something he called it which turns out to be pranayama okay so he's now trying to rebrand it just like uh, harvard people have rebranded meditation as mindfulness right so and then they sell it back to us so so this is something we should be worried about and generative ai and there was an interesting uh, recent uh, development japan has declared that any um, text that is used for training in AI, it loses its copyright. You know, that's, that is a radical point, a radical decision, which means that uh, something that is the livelihood of lots of people, you know, for example, you know, the Harry Potter works, you know, that's JK Rowling, this lady named JK Rowling, it's her intellectual property, but according to the Japanese ruling, it can be used by anybody and uh, there is no copyright. So this is um, something that's quite worrying and it's not just copyright, it could be patents, right? Anything that is in currently in intellectual property may disappear. So this is a, a significant issue. Okay, so let's move on to the next slide. And uh, if you wanna take this up, um, Abhishek?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll just uh, quickly mention, I am not a legal expert, but uh... We had raised a couple of issues. So when I was reading the chat GPT blog, I found that Iceland had made uh, strategic investments. Icelandic is a very unique language, again, with its own set of nuances. But those guys were smart because uh, they realized that the generative AI should include the Icelandic language and uh, it could be ignored at the expense of the other dominant language, which is English. Uh, why we cannot do it uh, it's an open question why we should do it uh, again it's an open question as to uh, what possibly generative ai could you know generate in terms of returns on investment i mean it is okay that we have a very fancy uh, technological uh, issue that has cropped up or uh, innovation has been done but uh, if i were to Uh, choose between generative AI or any other form of AI, I would give little less uh, relevance to generative AI because uh, it has the potential to upset a lot of things. What is important is that uh, India has still not uh, openly set up uh, in the data protection bill, which is still lagging. I hope that we have the localization uh, very clear, as well as the legal nuances clearly defined. The next question that we raised in the article in the open magazine was that whether the state patronage could define the arts, like it was done in the Vedic times or the pre-Vedic times. I would like to quote uh, Dr. Ankit Shah, who has spoken uh, very uh, ex- extensively about the Mandir ecosystem. And whether the mandirs, uh, if you, uh, whether the mandirs could, uh, you know, sponsor the musicians, sponsor the writers, authors, people who create literature. And last but not the least is that how China is uh, coming up. Uh, we would be taking the geopolitical aspect uh, in the next uh, few slides, but how China is uh, basically denying the access to most of the tech tech. What we call as the coronary steel phenomenon in the cardiology. That is, uh, it is uh, stealing the blood flow at the expense of already underperfused area, which means that it is denying the access to its uh, major market while plundering or you know, stripping to the bone the other uh, technology that is being brought out by either the big tech or being uh, funded by the uh, Western taxpayers. So I would uh, conclude uh, my bit of the story here, sir, in case you could add yeah, anything else.
0: And let me add a, a little uh, perspective to this, which is that you, know, you mentioned the mandir ecosystem in Vedic times. No, it's not, not Vedic times alone. I mean, it's like uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. We had, for example, Guru Ayur is the major temple in Kerala. And you had several great poets. For example, there was a gentleman named Puntanam Nambudiri. So he wrote what was one of the, you know, biggest, uh, uh, most, most dearly loved Malayalam epic um, hymns to uh, Lord Mahavishnu there. And, you know, like that, there were many, many scholars who were um, uh, nurtured by temples and also by kings, you know, in king's courts. So, which is an interesting mechanism uh, and it's a good contrast with the Western mechanism of uh, giving people these private rights, which, for example, a patent is something that you can hold for, say, 20 years and you have a monopoly on that. But at the end of that, it goes into the public domain, whereas the Indian system was that it was created in the public domain. In fact, very often you had the creators not even signing their works because it was meant for the public's consumption. So the American, I I should say, the Western concept of intellectual property is one where, you know, you profit from what you've created or invented, whereas the Indian idea was that it's meant for the public good. And maybe, you know, if the copyrights and patent protections disappear, like in the Japanese case that we mentioned, then we need to go back to this mechanism where the state or the temple Actually supports people who are doing the invention, innovation, creation, etc. So it's a it's an interesting thought. I I don't know if we can you know quickly jump into it, especially because one of the issues that we're facing in India is, you know, the companies which are sort of the quasi state today they're not supporting R and D to the same extent in India as in other countries. So there are some concerns about whether, in the absence of incentives, in the absence of uh, sponsorship people will just simply stop creating that that is a concern okay so this is a this is a bigger issue than what we can handle uh, here ourselves but i think it's something to think about and worry about so let me move on to the next slide the geopolitical ramifications and please uh, take this forward abhishek uh,
1: so like i had mentioned in the previous slide uh, there is a mad rush to uh, you know generate uh, llm models the U.S. is claiming that it has created around 40. Chinese have jumped on the ship, claiming that they have created around 20 or 30. And uh, these claims can be made by anyone. I mean, there is no open audit as to say that each of the model is uh, different from the other one. So basically, you can just tune a bit of parameters and call that algorithm by a different name and then claim that the output is superior to anything else that... Uh, the humankind has ever seen. So, what is the ultimate, uh, you know, optimal outcome, whether those uh, models or LLMs are actually in production, whether they are contributing to the industrial output, manufacturing output, or the economic activity? Unless uh, we have clear answers to that, then the claims can't just sound as claims. Uh, very surprisingly, Middle East has also jumped into the fray where it announced, where UAE announced uh, what it calls as Falcon 40. I mean, for want of a better word, because Falcon is very uh, prominent there. And uh, I had mentioned in my slide that a spouting oil well can finance a lot of things. So those guys are very lucky to have the crude oil just uh, floating everywhere. India has made a limited public announcement uh, like we mentioned over here, Chirin from IIT Bombay, India from IIT Delhi, Karam from IIT Madrasu. Uh, I'm not delving deeper into what the capabilities of India's uh, LLMs are, but uh, as we mentioned uh, in the previous slides, that it requires uh, creation of India-specific data sets Basically, to avoid poisoning, and I would dare say, add that uh, we should have uh, LLMs based on uh, domain-specific niche areas, with all the language uh, nuances intact, so that the not only the language is preserved, but the idea and the outcome is also preserved. So, would you like to add anything else to it?
0: Yeah, I, I just wanted to mention, for example, that um, the. The term LLM, we didn't define it. It's, it's a large language model. Yes. That's the technical term for what underlies these generative AIs. And I wanted to um, wanted to correct something you said about China having announced about 20 LLMs. Their latest count is 79. Okay, but then, oh. you know, we know Chinese are you know prone to uh, exaggeration now and then. Um, I I got a call which I have to um, decline. Okay. Um, and then the other thing here is we need to have these, uh, you know, as you, as you pointed out, these uh, models maybe in different domains, you know, domains that are specific domains where there is significant Indian knowledge. But the, the fact is that we can't sit by, and uh, uh, if we don't, you know, if we don't play, we, we're not players in this, I think we're going to be left behind rather quickly and there is and that's the sad part or the scary part but there is hope and that's what we want to talk about in this next slide when i have um, spoken to ai experts in the past you know maybe even as uh, as uh, recently as 2022 what they told me is that we can't do a whole lot here because it requires an enormous amount of uh, money for the hardware. And it's typically, for interesting reasons, NVIDIA chips, Nvidia's graphics processing units. And uh, you may need tens of thousands of them, which themselves will cost over $100 million. And we don't have that capability, which is a big problem for us, apart from the issue of the uh, uh, content, the, uh, the databases. See, we don't have any text databases in Sanskrit. Absolutely none. I doubt if we have many in Hindi or, or Malayalam or or any such language. And this is something we need to fairly urgently do in a couple of, uh, you know, uh, strategic ways. One is that if we don't capture these uh, knowledge bases, they will be digested sooner or later. They'll be translated into English and they'll be gone. The second is that uh, if we do manage to uh, uh, collect this in uh, in in our own um and and may and keep it in india this is a problem with the data protection as well you know today we don't have a strong data protection bill and anybody can take indian data for example medical data and take it outside so this text data which we had ignored all these years may in fact be even more valuable than you know human data about uh, medical or or other parameters okay so uh, the other aspect of it is that a lot of this uh, text data in India is crumbling. Okay, it's um, it's in old manuscripts which nobody can read now because you know there are too few people who can read the uh, older Sanskrit versions, not not even Panini and even earlier. So our heritage is kind of disappearing right in front of our eyes. So that is a that is a concern that we need to address and. Um, so it's, it's it's twofold. One is the cost of the hardware and the other is the, the fact that we haven't uh, put in enough effort to create these large sets. And by default, you know, everything is in English. So now if, um, um, if we can look at what's happened in the recent past, there is a ray of hope, which is that if we had all been under the impression that uh, only these very large companies, such as Google and Microsoft, you know, OpenAI is basically a Microsoft arm right now for all practical purposes. These guys have plenty of money, and they're able to create these data sets that contain five hundred billion parameters. So, you know, when, when Abhishek was talking about Falcon forty. Falcon has only forty billion parameters. Okay, whereas uh, if you look at uh, ChatGPT, it's got a, you know trillion parameters. ChatGPT four or GPT four, right? So we were under the impression that you needed, and, and it not only costs money. It costs an enormous amount of time. It took, I think, a year to train uh, GPT-3. And I don't know how long it took to train GPT-4. And Bard. we don't know. So it's time and money. Now, there was, what happened is an absolute bombshell of an announcement came out from uh, Google where it said, we have no moat and neither does OpenAI. Now, this is fantastic news for us. What it's saying is something counterintuitive, which is that a very large data set is not necessary to get the same level of output, good or bad, as the big guys. Okay, that is to say, even if you only have, say, 13 billion parameters, and I use that, uh, use that number because that's what matters, LAMA or YAMA, L L A M uh, A, that uh, they open source, that has only 13 billion parameters. And uh, people were able to take this and uh, make, I think it was at Stanford. They made a new version called uh, Vicuna. And they made another version called Alpaca. And it took them only like a couple of weeks to do this. And it cost not millions, only hundreds of dollars. And they came out with these models, which are out there available for academic use. And it turns out that the output from them is not that bad compared to the output from Google Bard, and OpenAI. Now, this is revolutionary. What it's saying is that instead of spending enormous amounts of money, okay, and assuming that uh, there is this emergent intelligence from having more and more data in the data sets, we can go with a small data set. And in fact, some people have now started putting these tiny uh, LLMs out there. One guy actually put an LLM... You know, based on this open source uh, from um, open source Llama uh, from uh, from Meta, he put it on a Pixel phone. Okay, and another guy put it on a laptop. Now this is great news. So we are no longer constrained by hardware. Okay, so we can now concentrate on the real thing, which is the the data set. You know, our data sets that uh, are an intellectual property treasure for us. Okay, so that is. You know, this is something that happened only in the last couple of weeks or maybe a month. So it, this is great news for us, which means, in effect, we can have, you know, a thousand LLMs in India. You know, you can you can run it on. You don't need to run it on a laptop. You can run it on a small server or something and still maintain a level of accuracy. Accuracy, of course, within quotes, because we already talked about hallucinations and poisoning and so forth. That is comparable, you know. We, we say it, it may be, according to this next slide that I'm going to show you, it's, you know, why and 9 Alpaca are 92, 93% comparable to the output from ChatGPT, which is sort of the benchmark here. And as I mentioned a minute ago, it took relatively little effort to do that. So this is a huge deal. And this is something that, uh, you know, sort of changes the playing field. It levels the playing field. And we need to jump on it. And uh, so the assumptions about, you know, we don't have the hardware, I think, fall by the wayside. It's not the hardware that's important. It is the ability to create the appropriate data sets and maybe create them in, you know, very narrow domains. Maybe create a data set that's only for diabetic uh, patients, for, for instance. Okay. Or create one for, uh, uh, for a certain legal area. Okay. Or, or for, I don't know, uh, machine tools or, or I don't know. I'm just giving out several examples of uh, narrow domains where we can uh, uh, benefit from Indic knowledge. Yeah, Abhishek, you want to add something to that?
1: Yeah. Uh, when uh, when this paper from Google uh, is stating that there is no more, when it came out, I must admit that I had completely missed it. I just glanced it over. But then uh, there was some other blog post which was uh, referencing to it and it uh, it was then I realized the enormity, enormity of the development because uh, Facebook had open source, practically it's the, you know, the algorithmic tools. ChatGPT has not really come out with what kind of data sets it is including, how it is running the algorithms, how it is streaming everything. And uh, it's practically opaque. And uh, they stopped even uh, sharing the, uh, they, they even stopped the uh, papers. There was a lot of uh, snafu when uh, Google had fired one of his so-called ethical researchers and then uh, went uh, full of org. But what is surprising is that uh, when we were researching this article, it was uh, when we were doing the initial brainstorming, it just struck me that the Facebook's uh, stock, it was trading at about 150 USD. It suddenly went up uh, with the announcement of the open source model, Uh, or rather the uh, open sourcing of its uh, llama, And uh, which means that the investors could see that this is uh, where the ecosystems are going to form. And they rewarded immensely uh, to Facebook. The same has been done for Falcon uh, 40B. It has been done for BARD, or they are planning to do it for BARD. They are making rapid announcements for the enterprises to come in. So I think uh, the uh, it is uh, boiling down and distilling down to the uh, fight between the platforms. Whoever can make the better ecosystem, who can retain the users and uh, push their own version of hardware, own version of fine-tuned chips to run the algorithms. And uh, you know that will have a cascading effect on the economy of the cloud computing as well. So uh, it's a very interesting scenario as to who wins the battle of the platforms. So, if I have to distill and make it very simple for everybody, this is the answer to it. Right,
0: right. So, um, uh, what that, what the, uh, what that means really is that, see, open source often wins. This is what we have seen in uh, other areas like uh, operating systems. Basically, that uh, once You put something out there and the developer community jumps on it, they are able to take it forward. You know, there is also this evocative paper called uh, The Cathedral and the Bazaar, where these big companies are cathedrals, which are structured and you have, you know, cardinals and popes and all these uh, hierarchical things. And then you have these bazaars that are rather, um, you know, chaotic, but the bazaars actually turn out to do a terrific job in uh, uh, quickly bringing the technology up to speed. And so that's potentially going to happen. And uh, you know, uh, Meta, which has open sourced its code, may still benefit from it. And in, in fact, it may end up being the leader as compared to uh, uh, OpenAI and uh, Google Googlebot. So that's a, a business opportunity that uh, exists out there. But so let me just move on to the next slide, which I, which I think is. Uh, yeah, uh, Abhishek, you want to take this?
1: Uh, I will just add, uh, I will. it's kind of uh, wrapping up uh, of the entire presentation, uh, not the last word, but uh, one of the few last words, is that uh, how India can move forward. There is no concrete uh, policy as of now. So basically, the government needs to signal that they have to get into the AI race. It is assuming not only the geopolitical dimensions, but it is very critical for our civilizational civilizational heritage. I would again borrow from, uh, uh, Dr. Raji Malhotra's, uh, books, uh, his ideas on AI, five battlegrounds and AI, where he has very clearly mentioned as to how the index civilization is being usurped, not only by the West, but by Europe and passing as their own. So likewise, uh, if we are able to create our own data modes, because data, structure data is what is going to be the mode for the country going forward. So if you are able to have our own data modes, have uh, some interesting startups like, uh, which we mentioned in the, uh, in the article is also mentioned here in the slides. So, uh, but my, my own uh, takeaway is that the government should uh, basically, you know, sound a bull whistle. That it is intent on getting into the AI part. It is intent on using it in the, uh, not only the administrative but in the financial legal domains. And then uh, it is also going to align uh, some public uh, money like performance-linked uh, in, uh, incentives for manufacturing. So they should do something similar for the AI and uh, create uh, thousands and thousands of startups. Who knows, uh, we may be able to get uh, something better. Just like they have done for the uh, space agencies now. They have uh, captured the market by launching the cheapest uh, uh, cheapest satellites as well as the Mangalyaan, And the third uh, Chandrayaan is also on the way. I mean, uh, the possibilities are immense. It's just that the government has to get its act together basically on the AI being used in the day to day life. And not only generative, maybe some other forms of AI. Uh, that is one way. So, if you have anything else to add. Yeah, let me just move to
0: the final slide. Okay. Now, you have painted the positive picture, which says that if only we get our act together, you know, we may in fact, end up kind of leading the the, the fray because uh, we have seen this in action with UPI and digitization and digital payments and so forth. I mean, India is literally leading the world in uh, digital payments. Okay, This is something that we would not have anticipated a few years ago. So here we have another opportunity and at the same time, there is a threat. There are all kinds of people who are attempting to uh, destroy India from... Many perspectives. You know, uh, on the one hand, you could say that there are malign forces that do not want India to be another manufacturing power or military power. And the fact that China has already come up, okay, you don't want another China. And by the way, China doesn't want India to come up because China wants to dominate India. So, uh, sorry, dominate Asia. So there are many things that are uh, uh, against, they're conspiring against India. And uh, see, this is one more area where we do have the opportunity to not snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, because we do have some uh, remarkable content, civilizational content, as you mentioned. And if we can get that going by uh, putting a, a concentrated effort, we could leapfrog. And I, I'm I'm confident that you know we are at a point where as a culture and a civilization and a nation, we can do these things. I wouldn't have said this 25 years ago because there were no examples of where we have, you know, been able to reach the pole position. But, hey, I think this is India's time. And uh, among all the other good things that are happening, PLIs, as you mentioned, and infrastructure and so forth, I think this is something that cannot be ignored and that uh, no moat business is... In fact, a godsend for us. And if we can just utilize that and uh, put in, you know, some kind of, think they call it, it's like a Manhattan project. You know, the Americans have this Manhattan project to uh, create, you know, a nuclear bomb, right? So we got to do that. Something that is uh, uh, very focused and, you know, and you put all your efforts behind it. And, you know, you may fail. It's okay. You gave it your best shot. So that's what I would suggest. You know, we can't be complacent. We are a complacent nation in general. It's like, ah, nothing will happen. But no, things are moving at internet speeds now. Okay? And uh, we just cannot afford to be uh, sitting idly by. So with that, I I think I'd like to conclude because we have reached 44 minutes. So any final thoughts, um, Abhishek? Or otherwise, we'll...
1: Uh, I would just, uh, in the next two slides, uh, if you can move on, just uh, show that how the limitations of the current generative AI exist. So if uh, you look at it closely, we had asked to summarize the article by using Bart first, and it created extremely nonsensical thing. Uh, I have highlighted the prompt that I had used and... Uh, Basically, I've just taken a screenshot of its uh, recommendations, and it was very generic. It was not even uh, specific. So this generic uh, thing is like you would uh, have given to anyone. The next slide uh, shows uh, the chat GPT where uh, I had put in the same prompt, and it was very clear that uh, chat GPT does not have the updated index. So uh, I think the last mentioned uh, update was for last year and uh, they haven't updated the databases yet, which uh, is a very obvious flaw. So please don't rely on whatever ChatGPT points out. You could probably use it as a parlor trick to show it off to your friends that you are very tech oriented. And uh, some of the you know kids are misusing it for creating homework. But uh, use your common sense and critical reasoning. That is what uh, humans have and computers lack.
0: Well said. This is really (laughs) a toy at the end of the day. It's a nice, entertaining toy. And one more thing I I wanted to add to what you said about its summary of our article. It manufactured several things that we didn't say, which is really kind of scary. Okay. We didn't say that. And, you know, it's sort of a generic uh, uh, summary. It could have been a summary of any article on AI, not our article, but the the fact that it manufactured things, that is scary, okay? So with that, I think um, I'd like to bring this to a close. And thank you, Abhishek, for uh, uh, not only appearing here and and putting, putting this presentation together, but also all the efforts that, you know, both you and I put together uh, uh, in in writing this article it is actually a, a pleasure putting it together because it's new stuff and i think we're coming at it from a rather different angle than many others many other commentators would have so i i encourage people to go off and read that article in uh, in full so thank you once again and thank you folks okay. for listening and goodbye and we'll be back again with another video soon thank you Namaskar. bye bye